the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. The big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. This is a classic episode. Uh, your pals have been having some adventures. Shout out to our super producer, Ben the Outlaw Hackett. Uh, uh, always, uh, always welcome Ben's and Knowles on the show. I'm a Ben and we've got yeah. a Noel. I know Ben Hackett is a bit of a Wild West kind of figure. He's definitely our Huckleberry today. That's for dang sure. Mm -hmm. And no, uh, no, we have just for context for our listeners, we have uh, embarked upon a strange crossover with our peer podcast, Ridiculous Crime. Mm -hmm. oh, I like your uh, previously on Lost voice there. Um, super fun. I think I, I mentioned it a couple of times on the episode itself, but while I am familiar with the concept of 20 questions, I have never personally never until played now it. played 20 questions. The guy and, never played it. In my mind, I was like, there's no way this is going to be fun. Like, it seems like people will either never, ever get it in a million years or get it too quickly. But it was the perfect balance of both. You had to definitely yeah, yeah. We hit some walls. But overall, yeah. it was a, a learning experience, a journey of self-discovery. You had a nice half-court shot at the buzzer that I loved. No spoilers, folks. Check out that episode. Uh, in the meantime, while uh, Max Williams, Noel Brown, and yours truly get ourselves together for the denouement for the second episode of this crossover, we thought we would share one of our favorite classic episodes. <laughs> it's Already a, a classic. It's yes. a shot from the dark, man. It's it, it's one that I forgot about. I don't know about you, but at some point when we we're hanging out off air, we asked each other about the Scholastic Book Fair mm -hmm. and why the Guinness Company, of all the companies in the world, why is the beer company in charge of world records? Yeah, well, it's sort of like how the, the tire company yeah. is in charge of fancy restaurant designations. It literally is just a thing we run into all the time on Ridiculous History about being first to market with an idea. Uh, and then the legacy just sort of takes over and you become the authority on that thing just by kind of being around. Um, don't want to give too much away, but that's exactly what happened with Guinness as a result of little bets that uh, drunken uh, uh, Europeans would make in bars. 
memoirs about like the biggest whatever, right. the longest whatever, the fastest whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly, all the whatevers, all the whatevers, uh, which become increasingly attenuated over time. Uh, so we can't wait for you to hear this one, ridiculous historians. We also hope you enjoy the moment where uh, your faithful correspondents try to determine whether or not they can actually get in the Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah, I don't quite remember how that went. I'm assuming that we that it was a no. Well, we'll have to see. Okay, we will see. Let's get right to it. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Ben. We're here with our super producer, Casey Pegram. Uh, I don't know if he has a world record yet. And I'm Noel, the average man brown. Is that a world record? Are you the most average? No, I'm quite average at being average, but I hope to one day go out for a world record in averageness. It turns out, Noel, that there are so many world records. We always hear about these things where uh, so-and-so has the the largest collection of matchsticks, which, I, you know, going back on our earlier comment about Faluminist from a previous episode, I could see that being a world record. Well, it's also like, you know, obviously we think of world records, we think of things like being the fastest runner or things that are measured very specifically and precisely in sports, in the Olympics, you know, competitive sports and sure. the like. But then there's the fun, dumb ones, mm-hmm. like the matchsticks or, you know, the world's largest postage stamp. I don't know if that's real. Or like, you know, the world's <laughs> tallest man, which is a distinction worthy of uh, being, you know, put in a, in, a, in a document or a book, shall we say. And we know and love that book. And it's called the Guinness Book of Records. And it's been around for a long time, as it turns out. Yes, it's been around for quite a while. But the question is... If you're like a a lot of kids in the United States, the question is, where does this book come from? For most people, it was a book. I don't know about you, but growing up, there was a thing in my neck of the woods called uh, like the Scholastic Book Fair. Book Fair. Yeah. And one of the hot items in the book fair was going to be Guinness Book of World Records, followed only by... Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Yep. Nailed it. Wow. Did we go to the same school? I think everyone went to that school. I think they toured around with that. There were those cases. It looked like a rock show. They mm-hmm. were like these kind of like rolling cases and they'd open them up and they'd be full of these scholastic paperbacks. And you could also do a book order. I remember that. But yeah, the Guinness book was always a hot ticket because it had later editions, crazy like holographic sure. kind of covers. And it was very glossy and a really cool eye popping book, you know, and it was full of all kinds of gross stuff and mm-hmm. weird stuff. Kids love that stuff. But as it turns out, so do drunk Irish people. <laughs> yes. Uh, speaking of fantastic segues, my friend. Uh, The question for today's episode is, where did this book come from? Does it have anything to do with the Guinness Brewery? Because, you know, it's completely possible that there's just some guy named uh, Rutherford P. McGinnis who decided to calculate every world record. Luckily, 
It turns out that is not the case. Yeah, sort of like the case with the Michelin stars for restaurants. Uh-huh. People ask the same question, like, is this Michelin like the Michelin man, the tire company? Well, as it turns out, yeah, they had a stake in the game as, as publishing a travel guide. Sure. And then you end up with this thing, the Michelin star system for restaurants, such as the case with Guinness. So as it turns out, the genesis of the Guinness Book of Records can be traced back to a conversation that took place during a hunting party in County Wexford, which is an Ireland, uh, not too far from Dublin. That's right. Sir Hugh Erie Campbell Beaver. Whoa. I know. Give that to me one more time. He's name rich. Uh, Sir Hugh Ear or Erie E-Y-R-E Campbell Beaver. Let's refer to him uh, henceforth as Sir Hugh. Are we okay. cool with that? Uh, I'm going to go with Sir Beaver, but uh, you could do Sir Hugh if that's, okay, cool. if that's Then what... it might be confusing. Let's go with Sir Beaver. <laughs> so, okay, so regardless of the nomenclature we choose, Sir Hugh Beaver was a British engineer, and he was the managing director of the Guinness Brewery at the time. He was hunting birds with his friends in 1951. Beaver shot at a game bird. And missed. The shot went awry, and this led the party to wonder not only about how fast this particular bird was, but it also led them to ask, what is the fastest bird in existence? And they did not find any reference to this information across the European continent. They were dumbfounded. Yeah, you would think that that would be something that would be in, like, an encyclopedia sure. or record books of some kind. That, to me, is a more run-of-the-mill type record or, or at least just something of scientific note that would be out there. But no, they couldn't find it. So they figured, hey, this could be cool as a, as a promotion for for the brewery. You know, because uh, you got guys in pubs that are having drinks and trying to settle arguments. Mm -hmm. Why not have a book you could whip out and say, actually, it's sort of the invention of actually. (laughs) I like the way you phrase it there. The lack of information haunted Sir Hugh Beaver. Picture this otherwise content Irishman laying in bed at night, staring at the ceiling, Tortured by this idea that no one knows uh, which bird in the world is the fastest, which game bird is the fastest. I don't want to live in that world. I don't want— Is what he was saying to himself. Yeah, I don't want him to live in that world either, you know? And there was no single official record. Or, as he later realized, there weren't many official records at all. Yeah. So he did something about it, right? I mean, he he didn't allow himself to be tortured by these waking nightmares of not being able to know what the fastest game foul was. (laughs) No, sir. He sought out a pair of twins by the names of Norris and Ross McHorter. And they were journalists. Uh, More specifically, they were fact checkers. They were um, intensely... Uh, pedantic fact checkers. They were known for their fastidiousness when it came to uh, verifying data and facts of any kind. And they had worked um, on Fleet Street, which was, I believe, kind of a hub of publishing in London. And they were uh, involved in a lot of encyclopedias and they would travel the world over to confirm various facts. Because at the time, there was obviously no internet. You had to go to the place, see the thing, Confirm it, 
test it, clock it, whatever you, what have you, and, sure. and they did that. What, what is the world's largest bag of haggis? Well, this is even before, like this is like even just with their kind of more um, encyclopedic uh, ventures, but they ended up being perfect for Ooh. this promotion, right? Yeah, it was great casting, and this was so our our friend. Right, Mr. Uh, excuse me, Sir Hugh Beaver is haunted for about three years by this experience. So it's 1954 when he gets this idea for promotion. Uh, the McWhorter twins are perfect casting. There's there's no other way to say it. And together, the, these folks team up in a triumvirate, and Guinness Superlatives is incorporated in November. Of that year, uh, they opened two rooms in a converted gymnasium on the top floor of Ludgate House at 107 Fleet Street. And it took a lot of work to make this book. Uh, they, you, you can look on the official history page for Guinness World Records, and they refer to an initial research phase, but they don't count it. And we can only imagine how much research would be involved because this is the first time that someone tried to compile all the world records. Who is the, what's the fastest animal? What's the fastest game bird? What's the tallest point on earth, right? Or the the highest elevation from sea level. Like I found a really interesting stat about this. It comes from the current marketing director for Guinness by the name of Stuart Claxton. He wrote a cool article that I found on HuffPo. And he says that it took the twins 16 weeks weeks to put this thing together and it cost $35,000. And luckily I've got my handy dandy inflation calculator here. 35 grand in 1954 is equal to about $321,000 today. Yeah, and I found out an even more specific stat about how long it took them. 13 and a half, 90-hour weeks. Mm, including weekends including and bank holidays. Including weekends and bank holidays. So, I mean, no small feat. And, you know, the McWhorters putting in all this backbreaking work for what at the time just felt like a promotional item for a pint of ale. Lager. Is it Lager. Is it ale? Oof, I don't know if I drink enough Guinness? to know the answer. Stout. It's stout. It's a stout? Uh, I hear that it's very different when you're actually in Ireland. I'm sure it is. And any 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 folks from Ireland, feel free to to flame our inbox at ridiculous at howstuffworks.com for our uh, ignorance about lager versus ale versus uh, stout. Invite us uh, to grab a pint with you in Ireland. I hear that it is different depending upon the pub you visit and... I'm always curious, what what temperature is it supposed to be served at? We digress a bit. Yeah, well, all I was saying was that, like, little did the, the McWhorters know that this, you know, seeming promotional item for sure. an alcoholic beverage, shall we say, uh, was going to blow up to be this massive cultural touchstone that has gone on to sell you know, hundreds of millions of copies over the years. Mm-hmm. And, like you said, is a, is a staple in, in book fairs the world over, <laughs> right. I imagine. Uh, in 1955, summer of 1955, they publish the book. There are 50,000 copies, and as as we have mentioned, they were mainly promotional items, but very soon, Sir Hugh Beaver realized that he had 
accidentally stumbled into the zeitgeist. People the world over, they wanted to know who the world's tallest man was, who the world's shortest person or the fastest person or the fattest person uh, or the person with the longest fingernails was. Most average person. Or, or the most average person, who I believe still is John B. Smith. Yes. There are like 10 of him. And they're all tied for average. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, it was a zeitgeisty thing in and of itself because it hit on a an interest that many, many people clearly shared. But it also created this kind of outpouring of, like, obsession with record keeping and record holding, right? Mm-hmm. You had to kind of invent new records where it became – it went from, like, things like you're talking about, like, the fastest or the tallest sure. or the biggest or whatever. It turned into things like world record for most ballet dancers standing on point on a pier. Uh, and that was in Thessaloniki, Greece on October 1st of 2016. Uh, and it was for 30 seconds, three times. So the further you get down the line, the more specific they get. But what were some of the early ones that were in that first edition, Ben? Oh, sure. The uh, the earlier ones were things that still seem iconic to us today, such as the world's tallest man who ever lived, meaning both living or dead. That would be Robert Pershing Wadlow, who was 8 feet 11 inches tall. Although nowadays, if we're talking about living people. Uh, The title would go to Turkish national Sultan Kosin, who holds the record at eight feet, three inches currently. However, the interesting thing about the evolution of the Guinness Book of World Records is that of the thousands of applications that the Guinness World Records organization receives each month, most are for new records in categories that did not exist in the original publication in 1955. Things like the longest kiss. The current record, by the way, is 58 hours, 35 minutes, and 58 seconds. Do you have to just twist your head? Or I don't. I, I'm going to show you a pretty cool picture. Uh, that, look how bored this lady looks. They look like they're doing some head twisting. I mean, there would have to be something. Otherwise, it would just be longest period with lips pressed together. What right. qualifies a kiss? That's tough. I think it's just the, you know, 58 hours is a long time to do anything. I agree. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. 
To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. The thing that's neat, too, though, is to this day, the book contains about the same number of records as it did when it first came out in 55 and then the next year in the USA in 56, which is about 4,000. In the original edition, there weren't any color, glossy images like you Mm -hmm. see today. It was all black and white photos, and there were a lot of hand-drawn illustrations of the more encyclopedic entries, like things like the blue whale Mm -hmm. or any, you know, animals. Like largest Largest mammals. Exactly. But some of the things that were in that first edition that are still quite iconic today are a man named John R. Cobb held the world record for land speed uh, in a single direction at 403.135 miles per hour, and that was in 1947. Um, A man by the name of Manningford Faith Jan Graceful. These names, my lord. (laughs) Wait, Uh, say that one again. Manningford Faith Jan Graceful. Oh, I'm sorry. That's a cow. Uh, a British Frisian cow, Frisian cow uh, that had the highest lifetime milk yield at 325,130 pounds over 17 years. But good gravy, man. You, you name your cow that? Manningford? Manningford Faith oh. Jan Graceful. Oh, my heavens. That sounds like a Toast of London name right oh, there. Oh, big time, big time. I hear your clam fandango. <laughs> and uh, then you've got, if, if you guys haven't heard Toast of London, check out Toast of London. It's it's fantastic. Um it's on Netflix right now, actually. Mm-hmm. Plug. Uh, but then you've got this last one, which I really enjoy. There's a pub. There was a pub called the Smith's Arms that held the record for being the world's a tiniest pub. And it was 10 feet wide and four feet high. <laughs> four feet high? That's what it says. That's interesting. There's also, uh, there's also a record for the largest prenatal yoga class. That's a thing. Uh, if you want to break that record, all you need as of... Uh, our recording today is 554 participants. So you got to get 554 pregnant people to do yoga with you, and boom, you're in the book. Uh, We have seen, um, all all three of us, Noel, Casey, and I, have seen some pretty specific and strange records. There's one for spinning a basketball on a toothbrush while holding it in your mouth. 
If you can do it for more than 22.41 seconds, congratulations. That sounds like a Harlem Globetrotters kind of trick. It does. <laughs> it really does. There's, there are uh, records for the fastest planting of rice seedlings. There are superlatives aplenty. You know, we, we've seen things like the uh, person with the most piercings or the most tattoos. Nowadays, the Guinness World Record brand is owned by the Jim Pattison Group. They're the same company that owns Ripley's, believe it or not. Did you ever go to those museums? I, I've been to a few. Yeah. They're kind of schlocky, boardwalk, tourist traps sort of. Uh, fun, I love though. them. They're fun. They're fun. I sound like I'm poo-pooing. I'm not. I love them. I'm, I'm fully into it. They're will, no museum of death. I'll give you that. <laughs> that's true. They are a little bit, you know, they have their, their morbid side. That's true. But, but they're way more lighthearted, right? Uh, we do have some good news as well about the fate of the McWhirter twins, who were really the driving force for this, I think. Well, is it a good news, bad news situation? Because there's definitely some bad news. It is a bad news, good news situation. Okay. So from 1972 on, the McWhirter twins were uh, familiar figures in a show called Record Breakers. Yeah, that actually stemmed from a children's show called Blue Peter that um, I think is still running to this day, some permutation of it. But Record Breakers was much more specifically tied to the whole Guinness thing. Mm -hmm. And it showcased the brothers' um, steadfastness at clocking records and measuring success and failures in, in all these departments. And they became kind of uh, – Presenters, television presenters, in addition to being behind-the-scenes folks. And they must have had some phenomenal cognitive ability because part of the show involved putting the McWhirters on the spot to have an instant recall of obscure facts and figures. And they were almost never wrong and almost never at a loss for the numbers they were asked to recall. Another thing now, I bet most of you boys watching have got hair twice as long as your father's, haven't you? Oh, four times as long as your grandfather's. But do you know who grew the longest hair in the world? Well, it was a man called Swami Pendra Sandai. His hair was 26 feet long. 26 feet long, look at that. I wouldn't like to wear this the day after he'd washed it. Oh, did you know, if you don't believe that, the longest beard on record was that of Hans Landseth of Norway. Mm -hmm. And his beard was 17 and a half feet in length, and he died in 1927. And he had to walk backwards. Or that the longest <laughs> fingernails on record were those of a Chinese priest yeah. who took 27 years to grow them to a height of, or length, of 22 and three-quarter inches. Yeah. Very handy for scratching your ankles. <laughs> so what happened next? Here's where we find the darker turn that we, we mentioned briefly. Ross McWhirter was shot fatally by the IRA on his London doorstep in 1975. That's right. He was a big outspoken opponent of the IRA, and he used his celebrity to speak out against them and, and pushed for a tougher response against the these kind of Republican terrorists mm -hmm. uh, by the uh, the British government. And he actually offered a 50,000 pound reward in 1975. That is a lot of cash for any information that might um, lead to the arrests of an, any IRA cell that um, was trying to carry out these uh, just deadly bombing campaigns all throughout mm -hmm. London that were happening at the time. And 
Norris McWhorter soldiered on as the book's editor until 1986. Afterwards, he continued as an assistant editor, and he spent a lot of time involved in political organizations, particularly what was known as the Freedom Association. He wanted to rein back what he saw as the overarching or overwhelming power of governments and trade unions. He retired finally in 1996, and he was 78 when he died playing a game of tennis in 2004. And what's interesting is that these brothers essentially created the foundation for this publication that we still know today that hasn't changed a ton. I mean, the whole idea is is very much the same as it was when they published the first edition, which, by the way, you can find on eBay for only about 50 pounds. You can get a first edition Guinness record book. Really? I was really shocked. I would have thought that they would be more scarce, but I guess maybe not a first edition, but it's definitely like among those first several editions because they said the, the first edition, I think they only made... 10,000, 50,000 copies, 50, right? 000, yeah. And then they just kept having to go into reprints of that first edition. But in that first edition, the brothers are not directly credited. Wow. They are just called the compilers. The compilers. So there was a bit of anonymity there. It's, it's, it's fascinating you said that. And Noel, I think we would be remiss if we did not address a question that everyone listening is wondering, which is, how do we set our own world records? Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time you name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, Noel. Have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. 
Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Is it possible in this day and age in 2018, is it possible for a well-meaning John Smith in the crowd, John or Jane Smith, to grab a superlative all their own? The answer is... Yes, but it's complicated. Yeah, and one of the reasons it's complicated is because, like, it's been around for so long, and the records have to get more and more obscure and bizarre and the 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 um, conditions, right? Like the whole ballerina standing on tiptoe and jumping every 30 seconds or, or whatever. Like, it, you can set these bizarre guidelines that, sure— that's a record because no one else thought of those exact conditions to do it. <laughs> right. But as far as like breaking like, you know, a speed record or, or something like that, mm. that's a little more tough. But, you know, you, you, you it's within your grasp if you want to come up with something weird that no one's thought of. But Right. It is not by any means impossible. It really depends upon a couple of things. The, the first thing that you will do if you want to set a world record that goes into print in the book is to find something that is measurable, provable, has a single point to it, and can be beaten unless it's the first ever version of something like the first person to walk on an asteroid, right? Uh, or the first person to eat the state of Texas, That's not going to happen. What if I just did the first person to hold a pencil in my closed eyelid by the eraser for 12 minutes and no one has thought of that particular thing to do yet? Mm -hmm. Could I I technically qualify if if no one has done that one? Yeah, there's a little bit of subjectivity here because the editors or the compilers must think it's interesting. And I think that's specific enough that – they would they would consider it interesting, especially if you did it for like twelve hours or something. I don't want to do it for twelve hours. I want to do it for a maximum ten minutes. Well, you could get it. You could get it for ten minutes, but. If you set it at 10 minutes, what's going to happen, I guarantee you, is next year there's going to be some jabroni who goes for 11 minutes. It's not going to be me. It's probably not going to be Casey. I don't care. I just want to be in the book. You just want to be in the book at least one year. It's one year. So another thing people do uh, is to set group records. The world's largest thriller dance, for instance, right? We talked about prenatal yoga. Mm -hmm. Just if you want to set a world record— Get a bunch of your friends or a bunch of strangers to do one very specific thing with you for as long as possible, which the the organization on that boggles the mind, you know. I guess uh, I would try to – I don't know if I would beat the largest thriller dance. That was a record in Mexico uh, with more than 13,000 people. Uh, It was on Michael Jackson's posthumous birthday. They all did the thriller dance. So as, as you can see, research is very important. And I'll anticipate the question that a lot of us have. Is there a person who holds the record for holding the most world records? The answer is yes. His name is Ashrita Furman. One of his records is for pushing an orange for a mile with his nose. 
And uh, he famously researched the type of orange to use. So you need to pick your battles carefully, and you need to be aware that you can break a record without spending a dime. Uh, The record breaking is free and open to everyone. Uh, They only ask that you give them six to eight weeks for existing categories and eight to 12 weeks for new ideas. So this pencil in the eye by the eraser, that would that would qualify for a new idea. And every record has a set of guidelines you have to follow. Uh, you can apply online at guinnessworldrecords.com, uh, and they'll send these guidelines to you via email. There is a, <laughs> there's, there's a great piece of inspiration here by a record breaker named Hannah Bosley. She, along with 324 other people, uh, holds the world record for the largest gathering of people dressed as penguins. And according to Hannah Bosley, breaking a record is not as hard to organize as you might first anticipate. So just get going. And if you want to do it, you will. And uh, Ashrita Furman, who you mentioned is holding the record for the most records at 200, I believe you said. Um, It also goes to show you don't have to be some sort of superhuman or athlete. Uh, This this person is a health food store manager from Queens. Um, And uh, the first record that he broke was in 1979, where he did 27,000 jumping jacks. uh, And then he also holds the record for rope skipping on a pogo stick. He did that at Cambodia's Angkor Wat. Also, he hula hooped at Australia's Ayers Rock, and he traveled the entire length of Paul Revere's ride in forward rolls. So, in in what forward rolls like uh, like, oh, like, like uh, summer, somersaults? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. So you know, it's up for grabs. If if you believe it, go for it. Mm-hmm. And I think a good way to wrap this up is to read the foreword of that original Guinness. Book of Records, which was by uh, a man who at the time was the chairman of the Guinness Park Royal Brewery. And speaking of amazing titles, his name was the Right Honorable Earl of Ivia. And he has uh, KG, CB, and CMG um, titles after that. And they're various military orders that he was a part of. And he prefaces that first edition with this foreword. Wherever people congregate to talk, they will argue, and sometimes the joy lies in the arguing and would be lost if there was any definite answer. But more often, the argument takes place on a dispute of fact, and it can be very exasperating if there is no immediate means of settling the argument. Who is the first to swim the channel? Where is England's deepest well, or Scotland's highest tree, or Ireland's oldest church? How many died in history's worst rail crash? Who gained the biggest majority in Parliament? What is the highest point in our country? And so on. How much heat these innocent questions can raise? Guinness, in producing this book, hopes that it may assist in resolving many such disputes, and may we hope, turn heat into light. Fantastic and well said. We only want to add that when you are considering breaking a world record or forming a new one, uh, Guinness will not accept anything that harms animals or is dangerous uh, for the would-be record breaker. So you can't do longest time without sleep. Apparently you can't do heaviest fish because people were overfeeding their fish. Mm. (laughs) 
monsters. Hey, if you are working at breaking a record or you have a fun idea for a record that maybe has yet to be dreamt up, please shoot us an email at ridiculous at howstuffworks. You can also send us a note on Facebook or Ridiculous History. We've got an Instagram at Ridiculous History. And um, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We would be much in your debt. Yeah, maybe we can set the uh, we can, we can set the record uh, for the most reviews. Ooh, it's a dangerous game to play. I think we're inching up on three hundred now. So let's shoot for the moon. <laughs> and we will see you next week, folks. Go break some records of your own. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, Smaller Ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways, rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.